Hey guys, welcome to the very first inaugural episode of the Tactical Yanks podcast. I'm Pete Douthit, your host, and I am really psyched to be sitting next to my co-host, Filippo Silva from Tactical Manage TV, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. You probably know us from YouTube, Pete from 11 Yanks. Here we'll be talking about U.S. soccer, U.S. men's national team, and maybe, just maybe, some international soccer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Tactical Yanks podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. I am your co-host or host. We're going to alternate quite a bit, Filippo Silva, and I'm joined here by Pete Dowhit from 11 Yanks. And Pete, I think I just butchered your last name, Pete. Yeah, you, you totally did. <laughs> you forgive me. Dude, my bank has been butchering my name and I've been with them for eight years. Whenever they call me, they're still like Mr. Dootit, Doot, Doot, Hit. It's Douthit. So like if you think Dow Jones and then just put a fit on the end. So doubt it. I'm just going to call you Pete. Pete is fine. <laughs> I'm good with Pete. <laughs> but everyone, today is our first podcast episode of Tactical Yanks. We've been meaning to do this for a while. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while, but obviously we do have jobs and obligations we have to fulfill and the YouTube channel, which has always been our main focus. But today we're also going to explain to you before we start the episode, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. We want to explain from my end and from Pete's end why we're starting this podcast, right? Because we could just keep doing YouTube, right? Yeah. Just post more content on YouTube. But I'll let Pete take over from here for a little bit to explain why he wants to do this. And a lot of it is the same reasoning for me, but I'll add something along with it. Yeah. I mean, I think number one is that the fans have been asking for it. You know what I mean? A lot of people have hit us up. Love your content. I can't always watch videos. I know, you know, Jason, for example, one of the listeners and friends of, the ch of both of our channels, works at Amazon. And so he has to listen with his earbuds and, you know, he'd rather listen to audio sometimes because YouTube uses a lot of data, which I understand. So that's number one. I mean, a lot of people, they drive to work. Maybe they can't be watching a YouTube video that, you know, audio content is easier to consume. It's not going to be the same content that's on YouTube. I think we should make that clear. We're not taking audios from YouTube videos and putting them on podcasts for us. That's not our intent. We want to keep it separate, but we did want to, you know, talk about a lot of different things. And I think we've discussed before where there are some topics that are not big enough to make a whole video about, but we still want to cover. Right. And so having a, you know, 45 minute to an hour podcast every week allows us to talk about some of these different topics. So those are the two main reasons for me. What about you? Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to make a podcast was there's many guests I always wanted to bring along, but when I talk to them, they say they don't want to be on camera. And then I say on YouTube, I can't just have a picture or something. I'll, no. I'll leave you on camera. And they're great guests, but they just yeah. are not comfortable on camera, which is perfectly fine and normal. So podcasts will allow us to bring different types of guests. They're going to bring valuable information and uh, help us quite a bit. That was another reason. Adding to everything you said. I remember also Justin Moran, a channel friend, also asked several times for us to do a podcast. So we decided to start it. And yeah. we'll see how this goes. As of now, we're planning on doing it a weekly podcast. Uh, depending on how things go, we'll ramp it up. We'll do it more often. But that's going to be the start. We take things slow. We go slow. <laughs> Steady and slow wins the race. That is the truth. That is true. It's like World Cup qualifying. You wait until the last minute. 
Pete, before we start, before we start anything, I just want to quickly mention everyone what we're going to go through in this podcast so they know what to expect for the first episode. We won't be doing this in everyone. We're going to still we're going to start off probably talking about then we're going to talk about the CONCACAF Champions League and why we're going to try to conclude why is MLS doing so well this year, which mm -hmm. it looks like, right? We're recording so this far, on yeah. Monday. So far, it looks like we're going to dive in a little bit into the Chelsea sanctions. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, uh, it's more of a personal topic here that I forced Pete to accept. I want to talk about how overhyped English players are um, and <laughs> so, how good they are, how good they are, but how overhyped they are as well. Right. So what you'll notice very quickly, guys, is 80% of, you know, this content on our podcast will still be American soccer related, right? But every now and then within the podcast, we might have a topic or two that covers something outside the American soccer landscape. Because, you know, soccer is a very interconnected world. For instance, what ha what's happening at Chelsea right now matters to American fans because of Christian Pulisic, even if you're not a Chelsea fan. So there's a lot of interconnections with international soccer, European, South American soccer. You're Brazilian. Obviously, you have a huge connection to that. And so although it is focused on American soccer, we will every now and then talk about other topics, too. Which adds to something why we started a podcast, right? In on YouTube, we're not going to make a video dedicated to South American soccer or only exclusive to European soccer, as our channels are focused on U.S. soccer. Podcasts allow us to focus on U.S. soccer while also diving in a topic or two of European soccer, South American soccer. It's always fun, and and I mean, me and Pete talk off screen a lot about soccer around the world, and I just think it's something we can add here as well. Regardless My of girlfriend that, told me the other day I spend more time talking to you than I do to her. <laughs> oh, she's on the oh, phone. <laughs> Mariana probably thinks the same too. She has, she just has to. But hey, by the way, me and Mariana might visit you um, during the summer. There, we might be in California in July. So Dude, I can't wait. <laughs> we should all try to catch a game too. Yeah, but that'd be dope. But Pete, so. We can finally start the podcast here. Obviously, asking everyone if you're listening to this, whatever platform you're listening to this, make sure to leave us a rating, okay? Yeah. Hopefully a five-star rating, whatever maximum rating you can give. We can't force you. So if you want to give a one-star rating, go for it. We can't sure. force you. But <laughs> but yeah, if you could, it would really help the podcast rank up and grow. But Pete, the first topic is mainly yours. So why didn't you kick off with that one? Yeah, so it's it's a discussion that I've noticed on Twitter. And actually, you know, it started with Herc when we had Herc on our channels last time, Hercules Gomez. He, you know, argued that the reason that guys like Sebastian Legett or Christian Roldan and to a degree even Ariola and, and Zardes don't perform for the national team and do perform for their clubs is not because they're not good enough for the national team, but because Greg Berhalter doesn't put them in a position to succeed. And then on Twitter, I think what happened is over the course of the start of the season, both Roldan and Legette especially have been performing really well for their clubs, for New England and Seattle respectively. And it became a point of discussion. Why do they perform so well for their clubs? And why not so much when they put on that U.S. jersey? What is the problem, right? And it's a, it's a complex topic, right? It's not a, There's no simple answers. I think I want to ask you first before we dive into this. In your opinion... What do you think should be the primary metric for national team call-ups and minutes? Like, what should be the criteria, like the, the primary criteria? Well, to get the first call-up, it's 100% relevant how you're playing for your club. I think where you play is not a factor of decision, but it's one of them. Because like we've talked about in the past, scoring 10 goals in the Premier League, scoring 10 goals in MLS, there's levels to it. So where you play does matter. 
But obviously, if you have a player dropping 30 goals in MLS and a guy struggling in the Premier League, you got to raise that question. Maybe the MLS guy is a better player or a defender, whatever it is. To get the first call up, it can only be what you do in the club level, right? Right. Uh, but once you start getting call ups, what's more important: your national team performances or your club performances? I think it goes player by player. I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this because, for example, if Pulisic and Reyna keep struggling with the national team, do you not persist on them? Do you just? The, yeah, it's a good the, point, right? Here's the thing. It goes player by player, right? And I don't think anyone deserves to just have a spot in the national team and it's his and you'll never lose it, no. right? But I very often compare the United States to Brazil, even though they're completely different level and completely stand, different standards, depth, culture, everything's different. But in Brazil, certain players like Neymar, and if you go in the past, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Adriano, you go back, for example, to the 2006 World Cup, Ronaldo phenomenon was extremely overweight. Adriano mm -hmm. was having drinking problems. Mm -hmm. Ronaldinho was bringing, okay, I don't want to say, I don't want to say hookers, but he was bringing some interesting women to training <laughs> sessions, right? That he shouldn't have brought. To training? Well, yeah, they invaded the pitch. It was happening. Oh, my so God. That's why that stack team lost in 2006. And those players are in the national team regardless, right, of their form. That You bring them in. If they're not performing, you still bring them in. Now, it's a tricky one because at the same time, let's say Pulisic, for example, is not performing for the United States and you don't bring him in and you put somewhere else. But what if you brought him in and he performed and he's better yeah. than all those guys? So it, it's player by player, right? And when you talk about those guys specifically, Legette, Rodon, um, Ariola, even Jordan Morris too, they have value in their clubs and mm -hmm. they clearly do perform well in MLS and even the CONCACAF Champions League against Liga MXC clubs. Mm -hmm. But here's my question is, they don't perform the national team and they're not those superstars that decide games. So if right. they're not performing for the national team, yes, you do cut them off and you give a chance to someone else at that yeah. level or a little bit better or younger. So that it goes player by player, in my opinion there. So to address the point about, are they just not performing because of Greg Berhalter? The problem is we don't have any really a lot of data of any of those guys playing for a different national team coach, right? Roldan had six caps before Berhalter became coach. Two of them were starts, one of them in a friendly under Dave Sarakin, one of them against Martinique in the 2017 Gold Cup. Performances were meh. The rest of those were just like, you know, cameo minutes. Leggett had like, I think, four caps under Bruce Arena, one of them in a World Cup qualifier against Honduras at home in which he performed quite well. But the truth is we don't have enough data of those guys playing for the national team under a different coach to be able to give a clear indictment or a clear conclusion on whether or not the reason they're not performing for the national team is because of Burhalter. And ultimately, whether that's true or not is kind of irrelevant, right? How they would perform under a national team coach is a hypothetical that we don't have the answer to and isn't really relevant to the question which is, should they be called up for the national team today, right? Now, obviously, in my opinion, no, they shouldn't because over the course of the last, even if we just look at the last year, they haven't performed for the national team when it counts. In fact, I'd say they've been not just average, they've been poor for the national team. So my whole thing is this, the number one metric for continued call-ups for the national team should be your national team form. Like if you're playing well for the national team, you'll continue to get called up, right? That's, that's how it should be. If you're not playing well for the national team, 
Okay. Then it goes, what, what do we mean by not playing well? Are you inconsistent? For example, I think it's fair to say Pulisic has been inconsistent over the last, you know, World Cup qualifying. He's had some big moments, some good goals, but I, I don't think he's been one of our most effective players, but he's still Christian Pulisic. I mean, this guy single-handedly dragged, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but was a major contributor in dragging Chelsea to a Champions League final, right? Performing at one of the highest levels in the world. He's one of our top two or three players easily. Um, so no, you don't just drop him. But if you have guys like Leggett and Roldan who really don't perform, in fact, if I look at World Cup qualifying, the only, I guess the only time I remember Leggett playing well was the second half against Honduras, you know, where he came on and, and you know, contributed to several goals. Other than that, he's been really poor. So for me, it doesn't matter what he does for New England right now. There are better options than Leggett. And the same goals goes for Roldan. And to be honest, the same goals for Ariola and Zardes. Now, let's look at Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta is a guy who has sometimes performed well for the national team in the last year, Gold Cup final, last game against Honduras, and sometimes not, right? So when there's a certain amount of inconsistency, at least they have some good performances, enough good performances that you can point to and say, okay, maybe we hang on to him for a little bit, see if he can up his level. But if there's almost no good performances to point to, it's hard to justify continuing to call those guys up especially when you have a guy like, say, Luca De La Torre, right, who for the last year we've been asking for him to get called up. Everyone said we were crazy. Well, not everyone, but some people. And then he gets called up and performs really well. Georgi Mihailovic, number one in assists last season in MLS, right? Stars really strongly this year. Goal and assist in, in CCL. Beautiful assist over in, you know, Montreal's games. How come he's not getting opportunities, Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think the conclusion that we got to come to here is Leggett and Roldan shouldn't be on the national team because they haven't performed for the national team. And they're not they're not young players with potential that you think are going to oh get better. Let's say Yunus Musa is inconsistent, right? You understand he's got talent, but because he's young, maybe he has a poor game here and there. But, you know, this guy's 19 years old. He's only going to get better. Leggett and Roldan are in their prime. They're not going to get better. There's no potential. There's no future hope that their level is going to rise significantly. I also want to raise a question where anyone listening to this can ask themselves and try to conclude something out of it. Uh, is Greg's system making Roldan, for example, worse? Or is the Sounder system making him better? In mm. Greg's system, that's just Roldan. That's maybe just a regular Roldan. Because there are systems that do benefit players more. And I understand that the Sounders are not built around Roldan. Yeah, but he does benefit from the way they play. And at times he doesn't, too, because Brian Schmerzer does move him around quite a bit. Right. He plays many different roles in that team. But that, that's a question we got to raise. And let's not forget one thing as well. Now, helping Greg Berhalter's argument right here, going towards Greg, um, to be fair, regardless of the system, we've seen guys like Rodan underperform against a Bosnia BC team. So even if the system's not well suited for you, those games, you should shine. You should stand out, right? Yeah. You should look better. And he didn't. And and Leggett, too, in many other occasions against inferior opponents, even when you compare it to MLS clubs, and he hasn't performed. So yeah, it's hard to blame the coach in that sense in regards – well, the coach still who selects them, so there is yeah. fault right there. But you, you against a team like Bosnia's BC team that's – probably supposed to lose to any MLS side, Rodon and other guys that were in the field should have stood out. Like Jordan Morris, that's not looking very good early in the season. He actually stood out that game. 
Yeah, um, I did. You could see that, but Roldan, look, so what is the problem with the system? I Again, this is just so people can think about it, yeah. but it's a, it's, it is a topic where we don't have an answer. Plus, Greg's the coach, so if those players are not working under Greg's system, maybe you don't yeah. call them. Well, not to mention there are players who have performed well under Greg's system, right? Brandon Aronson, Tim Weah, Weston McKenney, Ricardo Pepe to some extent, especially in the, you know, before, uh, Anthony Robinson. There are players who have performed well even within Greg's system, which is a whole nother topic. But it's like, okay, if this is the system he's going to use and you can't perform in it at all, then it's hard to justify continuing to call you up no matter how you play for your club, right? All right. So, Pete, I think this topic here it almost becomes inconclusive because there's no factual data that can prove either one. Question. I just don't think they should be in the national team. That's my question. Conclusion. Do you think they'll be in this upcoming roster? I think so. Both. You think so? Yeah. I think Legend will done. My question is Ariola because I think Morris is ahead of Ariola. And if Gio Reyna is in the roster, Greg probably sees him as a winger. So maybe Reyna will take. So maybe Ariola won't be. But Rodon and Legette, I am 90% sure. By the way, just to make it clear, we're recording this before the roster comes out. So yeah. let's say we release it. In the ro- and if you're like, you already knew. It's like, no, we don't know the roster right <laughs> now. This is Monday morning, guys. We're recording Monday. Yeah. But, Pete, the other topic we want to address here is the CONCACAF Champions League, which mm. uh, we didn't start off very well in terms of performances, right, in the first, the, the round of 16. It didn't look very well, until, but but most American teams or MLS teams, because Montreal is a Canadian team in yeah. MLS, they advanced. Besides the Rapids that lost to Comunicaciones in the PKs, and that was ridiculous. Now, New York City FC faced a weaker opponent. So they advanced, but the performances weren't very good. Right, we yeah. saw the Sounders struggle away, and then at home they won. But now in the the quarterfinals, we are facing Liga MX clubs besides New York. Right, New York's not yeah. facing; they're facing Comunicaciones, but they won the first game in New York, um, or at home, I would say. But we are defeating. So the Sounders got a three zero win, mm-hmm. and so did against New England. Leon. Leon and New England got three zero against who again? New Pumas. Uh, Pumas. Pumas. Games were played at home, but regardless, yeah. the 3-0 win, may, even going to Mexico, they should be able to hold off to that 3-0 yeah. win. Yeah, if they and, can't, then they don't deserve to be in a semifinal. Exactly. And Montreal, they lost the Cruz Azul at Mexico, only 1-0. And Cruz Azul is supposedly the best out of these Liga MX clubs. And Mexican clubs really struggle, not just clubs, just the national team as well, and they go play in Canada. So yeah. Montreal is very much alive in this one. They they yeah. they came back in the, the the round of sixteen. Yeah. So why why is MLS doing so well right now? Um, we've been struggling a lot the past few years. We we have improved, right? We made the CCL final with LAFC and it was it Toronto, Toronto. five Since years ago. Twenty eighteen was the yeah. first time I think in in the recent era we made the final. It was Toronto lost three two in a very fun game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the final, I was in Mexico for that game, sitting in a bar with a bunch of Mexicans, oh and I was God. rooting for Toronto. <laughs> it was crazy. The LAFC run was good too, knocking out Club America and then going yeah. to the final. That was an exciting game, I believe. Diego Rossi, right? He scored. Um, yeah, at the beautiful final. goal. That was a good game too. But but here's my question: um, Why why are we doing why are we doing well? This I mean, obviously they could still get knocked out, and we could just get burned from what yeah. we're saying here. But clearly there is improvement. And I'll tell you this. If three MLS clubs advance out of the four, I do think the odds of winning the CCL this season are extremely high. Very high. Because yeah. that's two knockout rounds that we need to beat Mexico once. And that's very yes. likely to happen. 
So, okay, let's just look at it. New England and Seattle are 3-0 up at home, okay? They're both going to go to Mexico. If they can't protect a 3-0 lead, I don't know what to tell you, but they should be able to protect a 3-0 lead even in Mexico. Very likely, New York City's there too because they already mm -hmm. beat Comuniciones 3-1, right? Again, big lead, should be no problem. Montreal's the question, but there's a good chance that taking a 1-0 loss in Mexico is not bad. Mexico has to come now to Montreal. Not Mexico, I'm sorry. Uh, the team, who did they play again? Uh, Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul has to go to Montreal. If we get four teams in the semifinal, that won't just be, you know, oh, we won. This will be complete and utter dominance in this particular tournament for this season. What happened? Um, in my opinion, there are three or four things that happened that contributed to this. But what are your thoughts? So I have a couple. I think the first one to say... Right away, it's something we talked about with her Gomez, right? Uh, MLS is improving every season, while Liga MX to a bare minimum is stagnant. Okay, or... it's MX. 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 You don't pronounce yeah. it as an X, in, in, yeah. Apparently, Liga MX. MX. The Mexican League, whatever. <laughs> um, so they've been you. stagnant. They've been stagnant or even yeah. getting worse ever since they got rid of promotion relegation in theirs they haven't been it hasn't been looking good right so that's the first thing every yeah. season we should be seeing mls catching up more and more now it does seem like the jump from last season to this season is a lot bigger i think a lot of it also has to do with the the way clubs from mexico qualify to the ccl right the current champions don't really go except for i think club leon won the abertura and mm -hmm. Atlas won the Clausura, that exciting final on PKs at Liga MX Clausura. So Atlas is not in it. And Atlas is doing well once again this season. The other yeah. team I looked here is Puebla, that did well last season, making it to the final with Atlas. And they're doing well again. They're not in the CONCACAF Championship. So the first thing to say is I don't think the best teams of their league are there. Yeah. Um, that's not to downplay MLS because we used to lose to any of their teams. And yeah. they're not, not their best teams would also go to the Libertadores and do very well. So that's not to downplay. But I think that does play a little bit of a factor, right? If they had yeah. their best teams, it would be a little bit tougher. And yes, with MLS improving every season, that plays a role as well. Uh, those are the two main factors that I can think or come to mind right away. Yeah. Well, you're right. And, and to speak a little more to MLS improving... There are specific things that we can point to that have helped. You know, MLS has always been held back in CCL. People say it's because of the schedule and they're in preseason. I don't know if I think that's quite as impactful as, as some people think it is. It's maybe a small percentage. I think more of it has to do with roster construction and depth and quality. Now, you know, typically MLS teams could compete with Liga MX teams in the first 11. But... After that, the depth was a problem, right? You know, or maybe not first 11, but roster spots one through seven, you could compete. But there wasn't enough quality distributed throughout rosters. Part of that is because of the DP rule, right? When two thirds of your salary cap is spent on three players and one of those players gets injured, one has a ban and one has a bad day, there goes two thirds of your roster. It's not a great way to build a roster, but that's a separate issue. Two things have happened with MLS clubs over the last few years that have made them improve. Number one, homegrowns. Okay, homegrowns do not count against the salary cap. So essentially, let's look at Seattle. You have Obed Vargas, Danny Leva, Josh Atencio, Afonso Alcampo Chavez. Now, let's be honest, only Obed Vargas or even Reed Baker Whitting, but only Obed Vargas has really played a role in CCL. 
But the impact that this has on your roster, when you can bring four or five homegrowns that don't count against your salary cap, that means now you can spend that money that you would spend on five depth pieces on more quality players in your in your roster. So Joao Paulo, Albert Rusnak, you know, Freddie Montero is their backup striker. Five years ago in MLS, Freddie Montero would have been your starting striker DP, but he's a backup to Rui Diaz, right? So now there's more quality in the roster. The other one, right, that matters is the under 22 initiative or what's being called young, young DP, money. young DP, young money, whatever you want to. I don't think it's young DP. Is it young DP? I think it's actually some people, different... some people just call it young DP. That's not the official name, but they just right. call it that way. Right. So basically what MLS did starting last season was they said on top of your DPs and your TAM and your GAM and your whatever ham, ma'am, Sam rules, you now can add three players that don't hit your salary cap under the age of 22. They can be Americans. They can be foreigners. This is apart from homegrowns, but they don't hit the salary cap in the same way the average player does. So if you look at, for example, New York City, they have two of those under 22 players that are now playing for them that add to their roster. One of them is Achevedo and the other one is Andrade. All that. Now, it, it doesn't matter if those guys specifically played well in this tournament. What it does is it adds more depth and quality to your roster so that you can spend more money in other parts, parts of your roster. The third, So that, I think, has contributed. The third thing is just I think MLS teams have gotten better at scouting and better at evaluating talent over the last five years. So when you're getting talent from South America or from Europe, before it was about, oh, you know, who's a good name that we can help us put butts in seats? Now it's a lot more of this, this guy have the drive and the ability and the technique to be able to contribute to our rosters. They've, there haven't been as many flops recently in MLS of players that they brought in from abroad because I think over time, you just get better at something, right? If you're a normal human being, when you're learning something, you get better over time. And we've, they've gotten better at scouting. They've gotten better at roster construction and figuring out all those crazy roster rules that we have. All three of those things have led to better quality rosters. Now, we still have a long way to go, right? We can't get ahead of ourselves. The cool thing about MLS finally winning CCL is that it will make CCL more interesting because now you want what you want is competition between League MX and MLS fighting for that trophy because it's bragging rights in the region, right? That's what you want. You want that. So winning once would be good for MLS. It'll be good for the competition because now also I have a feeling a lot of League MX teams, they don't really think we're a threat. They come here. It's like it's MLS. We always win the CCL. So maybe they don't bring their A game to every single game. And that's, I think, has helped us too. When we win it, they're going to be like, oh, this MLS is getting better. We're going to have to start bringing our A game every single game. And more money to the region too, right? More people watching in Mexico, more people paying attention to the United States. And I want more countries to be included in the CCL, even if their leagues and teams are weaker, because you will strengthen the region as a whole, yes. the competition, the money coming in, more people watching, bring in more teams from the region. It will be fantastic. And one thing that we do need to say, why is it so important to win the CCL? It's not just the rivalry. It's not just for the winning culture or the experience for the players. Playing the FIFA Club World Cup is mm -hmm. it can be very important for U.S. soccer as a whole. Yes. Right. Uh, a lot of the casuals could pay attention once you tell them that a club from their city is playing on the world championship against, against a Brazilian Chelsea, club, against know, Chelsea, 
yes, against a, a top European nation, or hey, they're playing the 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 Boca Juniors, the champions of Argentina, River Plate. That changes perspective, right? It yeah. becomes a serious league, not just here, but internationally. Let's say an MLS club goes and plays Chelsea in the Club World Cup semifinals and they lose just 1-0. They yeah. hold on to 1-0. That changes the way other leagues will see MLS. They're like, wait a second. So that league's not that trash. They were able to hold off Chelsea. The same way people were talking about Palmeiras. Like, hey, Palmeiras actually put a challenge against Chelsea. Yeah, You earn respect. And MLS needs that internationally. Yeah. Respect. Not that we need to live off viewers outside, but the moment people respect us internationally, a lot of the domestic viewers, which are foreign, me, for example, uh, very yeah. Brazilian-like, they'll start respecting a little bit more. Maybe MLS goes to the Club World Cup and defeats Flamengo from Brazil. That will change yeah. the way Brazilians see the league. So, it is very important for us to start winning the CCL with consistency. Go play those clubs. We need, and also the Club World Cup is going to change in two to three years. It's going to be much more exciting. It's going to be like, I think, six to eight European nations, 24 total. It's yeah. going to be an actual World Cup of clubs, and it'll drive interest and more money for the league. Every time yeah. you play one of those competitions, it's a couple million dollars that come in. More yeah. money. Well, it's also a good measuring stick, right? You know, we often compare MLS to certain leagues in Europe. And, you you know, some of them, mm -hmm. it's a clear difference. Some of them, it's not very clear. What is the difference, say, between the championship and MLS, the Scottish League, the Austrian League? You know, now going MLS teams going abroad, it's a good measuring stick. How do you stack up? Forget Chelsea. <laughs> like, that's a clear difference. But even like the, the best team from Asia, if you play a J-League team or a Saudi Arabian team or African team, right, from, you know, it's a good measuring stick. Where does MLS stand on the world stage? You you talked about leagues, and I started laughing a little bit here. Maybe people could hear me or not. The reason I laughed was someone asked me one of the toughest questions I was ever asked in soccer. They said, how do you rank the Swiss League because of PIFA? And, and I was just like, look, um, I tried to explain it based on what I saw from young boys in the Champions League, but it's a league I really don't watch besides highlights of PFOX goals. So <laughs> ranking a league, it's it's disingenuous for me to rank a league I don't watch. Now, yeah, based on like what I've seen, Basel, Zurich, and Young Boys from the Swiss League, they look like they're very competitive teams. They can go to Champions League and they cause trouble for Manchester United, Atalanta. Yeah. Um, but then after that, I do think it's a league that's probably much weaker than MLS. So yeah, it kind of goes like the same as the Scottish League that we say it's probably worse than MLS, but Celtic and Rangers would be top contenders in the league. Oh, yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's tricky, but but what you said is spot on. It's 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 another way also for us to uh, get a shock of reality of where MLS actually is, besides yeah. just competing with Mexico all the time. And it makes our players better, right? If you have to, and our coaches better. If you have to game plan against a Brazilian team or a, you know a, a European team in a competitive game, not a summer friendly, right? Or even an African team, it exposes you to different styles of the game, different tactics, different levels. And it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. You don't just have to plan for American teams and Mexican teams. Now you have to plan for playing, you know, some of the world's top teams. And I think it'll be huge. Do you think MLS is going to win CCL this year? If you had to put $100 down. Do I really have to say this right now? You do. Oh, my God. I, I kind of want to wait till the, the games <laughs> and see how many advance. Because I could see me saying, we're going to win it. And then... New York City advances and one of the two um, uh, Sounders or New England advances and one of them loses. And yeah. then it becomes two against two. If that happens, I think we're going down. 
Um, yeah, we've happens. had two before in the semifinal. We had New York yeah. Red Bulls and Toronto in 2018. And it was like, oh, could it happen? Oh, man. Actually, Red Bulls outplayed their opponent in that semifinal. I was under Jesse Marsh. I remember that. Wasn't it a um, Oh. No, I don't think it was rigged. They just didn't, they couldn't finish. They had like 27 shots on goal. I remember this and they couldn't finish. Wasn't Seems there a to be PK a hallmark for the New York Jesse Red Bulls they didn't call? I thought there was a PK for the New York Red Bulls that they didn't call. Yeah, there was possibly one. But overall, Red Bulls dominated and should have won that game. But they had so many chances they couldn't finish. And Toronto was close, right? This is when they had um, Giovinco there, right? Giovinco, Bradley, and Josie were all in their prime. Josie you know, was good, yeah. And they were yeah. really good in that turn. And they lost 3-2 in the final in extra time it was so close but it was a fun final let's be optimistic then let's say yes um this could be the year i mean if four we, teams get to the semi-final it's not even yeah. <laughs> uh i'm gonna say yes well because i truly believe new york new england and sounders are through so that's yeah. three so even if montreal can't get it done against kuzasu which i think they're still very much alive in that game that that yeah. second leg it's three against one. So that means we're going to have two playoff rounds that will get the opportunity to beat Cruz Azul if Cruz Azul is the one that advances. So, yes, we'll win the CONCACAF Champions League. I'll, I'll say that. Do you All think right. so? so, guys, the, the, the second legs of these games are this week. Now, the format of CCL has changed. The semifinal and the finals won't be until later this year, right? Um, I don't know the date. I don't know. I, I don't know the date either, but I think it's in the, like, I think they changed the format last year. Um, so the semifinal and the final will not be until later in the year. Uh, but this week we can watch those second rounds and see how many of them actually make it through. This will be coming out, I think Tuesday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are the games. So check them out. Where do they stream or where do they view? Where can people watch them? Um, I believe I sometimes I seen it in Fox Sports, I believe, and sometimes yeah. two day any. It depends. Um, I just kind of like search it on the cable and watch it. But one thing to say is we'll likely be covering this next week in the podcast too, depending on how oh, yeah. it goes. Uh, yeah. Hopefully for the better, right? Hopefully celebrating a little bit the success of MLS, which is kind of interesting. How in MLS, uh, the entire league kind of cheers for their clubs in international competition, while you saw in the FIFA Club World Cup final the entire country of Brazil going for Chelsea because they didn't want Palmeiras to win. <laughs> so. Let me ask you this. Do you, and maybe Portland fans listening can tell us, do you think Portland would be happy if Seattle won CCL? Or do you think the Red Bulls would be happy, Red Bull fans, if New York City won CCL? Um, I don't know if they would be happy. I just don't, I can't see them blatantly cheering against them. Like they do. In, you can I don't know. It, it'll be, but I don't. I don't know personally. Some diehard Sounders. Well, I know a few, but I never asked them that question. I don't know. I know in Brazil, yes. If you ask me, can you think Corinthians fans would be? Yeah, they would freaking be happy if Palmeiras. They were happy. Now I don't know. A lot of the MLS fans do understand that the league needs to grow and how important this is for the growth of the league, regardless of their rivalry. So I do think they might be a little bit more sympathetic towards it than other nations. Yeah, but you could be right. It would probably be better to ask one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, let us know, guys. Hit us up if you're a Portland fan or a Red Bulls fan, you know, or even if you're a Toronto fan because Montreal is your big rival, right? Let us know your thoughts uh, if you think you would be happy about these results. Pete, it's time to leave U.S. soccer for a little bit. Actually, right. for the rest for the rest of this podcast, and hopefully, anyone listening still stays with us. 
We're going to start with a topic that we're going to try to keep it in soccer as much as possible. It's a little mm. bit outside, but how it affects soccer, because I don't think any of our opinions truly matter in anything outside of soccer in this specific topic, even though we'll address it a little bit. It's the, the sanctions imposed on Chelsea. Mm. So I'm going to try to go through mainly like summarizing it as much as I can. So Chelsea can't renew the contract of any players that are there right now. So there's quite a bit of players that their contract does expire over the summer. And technically right now they can't until it's all resolved. Any sale has to be approved by the UK government, mm -hmm. right? Um, which we'll address that very soon as well, because apparently there was a bid today from a Saudi company. Mm. Uh, more oil money. They love oil money. That's something they, they love. really do. For now, right? Maybe they won't in a year and they'll just like block it as well. So depends on them because they love the Bramovich's money when it arrived as well. Now they don't like it anymore. And, yeah. and listen, just to make one thing clear here, and I, I'm speaking on my behalf and I think on Pete's behalf on this, we are for any measure that will stop a war. Yeah. Just to make that clear. Yes. But sometimes we're just trying to say like we need to reevaluate how much that measure is actually in having any impact in a war. Or rather, it's just there's other interests behind it. That's all we're saying here, okay? Yes, yeah. if it's something to stop war, I stand by it. Um, yeah. No one here is, is like advocating for that. So Chelsea right now had their credit card frozen, I believe. That's what they were claiming. All their accounts um, are frozen, I think. They can't sell merch. So if you try to buy a jersey in their main store, you can't. You can only buy it maybe on eBay from, like, from secondhand or whatever. Uh, I also noticed their social media account, their Twitter, the way they announced the lineup wasn't as fancy with a little player picture. Their designer might have been fired. And that is a topic we wanted to address, right? How a lot of these sanctions affect employees and not even talking about the players, right? Because the yeah. players have money to survive a long time without it. But it's yeah. the day-to-day -day employees that live there and are being probably affected by this. And depending on for how long this drags, a lot of people could lose their jobs within the club. Yeah, because they can't pay employees. They can't pay their employees right now, as I understand it. And and just for anybody listening who's not really aware of why this happened, although I think most people are, Roman Abramovich is an ally of Putin, um, the Russian president uh, or prime minister. He made a lot of money back in the 90s through Putin and um, yeah. after the fall of the Soviet Union and with Russia. So, yeah, he's he made a lot of his wealth through that. The, the and so these sanctions are an attempt to punish anybody close to Putin and to try to put pressure on Putin in order to stop the invasion of Ukraine. And and like Filippo said, we are anti-war. We're not pro what Russia is doing, you know, and we definitely stand with the people of Ukraine who are defending their home country. Here's my issue. There's always collateral damage with moves like this, right? It's easy for us to sit here and go, great sanctions, love it, punish Chelsea. My concern is, two. I have two questions. One, is this really going to put any pressure on Putin? Like, you know, is Abramovich going to call up Putin and say, stop the war, I'm losing money? You know, uh, I don't think so, personally. Second, well, even if he does, Pete, does the, the, do we think Putin would care specifically about that? Yeah, right, the impact on Putin is, is the question and the impact on the war. And secondly, is how many people who are completely innocent are going to suffer as a result, right? Chelsea employs hundreds, if not thousands of employees, not even to, related to the players or the coaching staff, right? We're talking PR, marketing, front office, you know, I mean, there are so many, many positions that exist with a club, a global club like Chelsea, where now they can't get paid. And a lot of these people came off of a two years of COVID. 
right? Maybe suffering financially, maybe not able to go to work, maybe staff were laid off. I just wonder if in our haste to put these sanctions on, on Chelsea, if perhaps we might be doing some collateral damage. And, and the question is, is it worth it? Maybe it is. Maybe the argument is that, yes, it sucks for those people for a little while, but overall, if we feel like this is going to put enough pressure on Putin, which I have my doubts about, then it is worth it in the short term. The second thing is, okay, if it's a moral issue, if we're mad at Roman Abramovich because he's got ties to Putin and he made a lot of money as a Russian oligarch, now the Saudi government is coming in, it seems, <laughs> or not the Saudi government. They say they have no links to the Saudi government, this this group, right? That was. Do you know anything about this bid today? I, I, I just saw it because it came out like an hour ago. Apparently, it's a bit of 2.7 billion pounds, mm -hmm. right? That, that's probably close to $3 billion or more. I don't know. I don't know the currency exchange exactly. I just know that the pound is worth a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's always what they say, right? They, it was like the Newcastle purchase as well. They say they have no no ties, but at the end of the day, everyone knows they do, right? And, yeah. And again, if it's a moral thing, if it's a moral thing, there's many different things that that the soccer world has ignored, yeah. Um, which are which people died and things should have been addressed. And we've talked yeah. about this too about how they completely ignore the the Qatar World Cup and all the issues that were surrounding it. Right. Right. We're not saying cancel the World Cup. That's not what we're trying to do here or cancel Qatar. We're just saying that there's many issues and even the United States in the past. There's been many things that they've ignored. Um, and if it becomes a moral issue, what you would want to see is consistency. And right. I don't think we're going to get consistency. That's what I don't think. Should FIFA, should football powers be moral judges? Is, is, the, is I think an interesting question, right? Should there, should we be sitting here going, you don't get to play soccer because somebody in your country did this, right? Kicking Russia out of the World Cup, kick, kicking Russian teams out of the Champions League, right? Or out of Europa League rather, because they're not in the Champions League. Those are all questions that we have to wrestle with as fans. And, and again, the hypocrisy is an interesting one because Saudi Arabia has one of the worst human rights records in the world. Right. You can't you get executed for being gay in, in Saudi Arabia. Right. Is it OK then for a Saudi, you know, related, even if it's not the government? OK, R Abramovich is not the Russian government either. But, you know, is it OK for Saudi clubs to come and buy, you know, football clubs and run them? And that's fine, even though they have a horrific record. And, and what Saudi has done in Yemen. Right. Which doesn't get enough uh, enough like coverage on the world stage. Again, I'm not saying these sanctions are wrong. I just wonder about double standards. And I wonder if this moral equivocation is good for the game or if football should be completely separate. Soccer, sorry, should be completely separate from all that. I don't have the answers. I don't know if anybody does, but I think these are questions we should ask ourselves. Yeah, I think one thing we can make it clear before moving on to this topic is this, is if the government had any indication that maybe Roman Abramovich was using Chelsea funds to fund the war or to fund the Russian government right now. Sure, then sure. yes, then yes, sanction, block it, stop it. You have right. to put an end to it. But it seems like it's more based on ties he used to have or does have, right? I, right. I don't know. Um, I don't think anyone has the actual answer to that right now. It's a little yeah. weird. Um, regardless, it's the the what we're doing here is we're we're questioning is is it too much? Is it right. being impactful? Is there hypocrisy? Well, I'm not asking if there's hypocrisy. There's definitely hypocrisy. That I'm not even asking anyone. I think that's quite clear. 
But yeah, that's what's going on with Chelsea. Uh, it hasn't been resolved. I do believe by the summer, Chelsea will have a new owner and everything will be sorted out. But you will, we will probably see a different Chelsea side, depending on mm. who the owner is. If it's American-owned, if it's uh, Saudi-owned, whatever it is, uh, it, it will be different. Uh, it will be a different one that we saw under Roman Abramovich. For the better, for the worse, only time will tell. But I think it should be resolved soon. Anyone that's worried about Pulisic and being on a crap team or them being relegated or anything, I don't think it will reach that. It, no. it does seem like Abramovich also in this whole mess, he's not really fighting it. He's just kind of like, He's going to let it happen at this point. Yeah. So it'll happen. It'll happen. Um, I think it will be resolved very soon. But moving on from this topic, which to me, like this topic is, it's not a fun topic. I, I don't like it. It's just something we had to address because no. many people were talking about. Um, it's also not fun because there's no, we don't know the answer. We don't know what the right answer is. It's very complex. Yeah. There's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know the right answer, but just because we don't know the answer doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with the questions and try to figure out where we stand and why. And I think that's something all fans, especially as Americans, because let's be honest, America's not exactly blameless when it comes to global conflict either, right? And so I just think these are good questions that we should be asking ourselves regularly and maybe even look for some of our own hypocrisy in our own hearts. Yeah, I think the whole world will be a better place once humans start to realize that no one really has the answers. But what we can do is we can all discuss, talk and try to reach out agreements and what's better for the, the community, everyone as a whole, yeah. instead of a bunch of know everything that think they're right about everything and, you know, cause a lot of these conflicts at the end of the day. A yeah. lot of idiots in charge at the end of the day. That's what happens to many of the countries. Uh, morons in charge because the smart people don't have enough time to be lying to everyone through politics. Yeah. But moving on to a topic that actually got me in trouble on Twitter, Pete. This one got me <laughs> on Twitter. Filippo getting in trouble on Twitter. Shocker. Yes, this one right here. So this is what I tweeted. And I want to first make it clear to everyone. There's a difference between saying a player is overrated and saying he's bad, right? Mm -hmm. You can say he's overrated and he's still a very good player. Because if you get a player and you say he's the best of the world and he's like the 10th best in the world, you're overrating him. And he's still the 10th best player in the world. Right. And the player I'm talking about here is Sir Harry Kane. I actually don't know if it's Sir. That was probably He's not knighted. Not yet. He'll probably not yet. Um, so Harry Kane and all this English hype. And the reason I, I addressed this was Mika Richards, right? One of the analysts and former Manchester City center back, right back? I can't remember exactly. The right back slash center back in his day. Yeah. He he after Karim Benzema scored a hat trick against PSG. Mm -hmm. Karim Benzema, one of the best center forwards in the world the past decade. Mm -hmm. uh, he said that, hey, it seems like Benzema finally has reached Harry Kane's level. And I couldn't think to myself of, first, I think Karim Benzema is a much better player than Harry Kane, just for starters. That, that's mm -hmm. just my opinion on it, right? Uh, yeah. I don't, I'll, I'll find out soon if you agree or disagree with that. I don't think Harry Kane is a bad player. That, that, I can't say that with a straight face. Right, yeah. Harry Kane dro has dropped several seasons, twenty plus goals in the English Premier League with mm -hmm. a couple dimes, assists. It's unquestionable how good this guy is, right? But what many don't understand here is also how overhyped he is as well, mm -hmm. right? I don't put Harry Kane in the category of someone like Lewandowski. Mm. Um, well, Cristiano Ronaldo is a center forward now. Yeah, sure, Cristiano's even though Cristiano just owned Harry Kane over the weekend with a hat trick himself, but yeah. Uh, Benzema, one of the best center forwards, even Slatan back more in his prime. Now he's mm -hmm. almost 40. And I even go as far as saying Erling Haaland when healthy. 
I don't put Harry Kane in that category. I put Harry Kane as the first place guy right below those guys. But that's not what the English media sees. So fifth. That's, so you think he's probably the fifth best center forward in the world? He's easily top eight. That's what I said. Um, mm -hmm. Easily top eight. So people came out, oh, so who's who are the seven ahead of him? I said, I didn't say seven ahead of him. I didn't really think about it. I just said easily top eight, but probably around fifth, like a top five. So nonetheless to say, he's a freaking amazing center forward. Do you think Suarez is better than him? Uh, now, no. In his now prime, no. yes. Right. In his prime, he was better than than Harry Kane as well. Uh, I also do think I also think there's a common misconception here of saying, "Oh, Harry Kane plays for the Spurs, therefore his stats are even more impressive." I highly disagree with that because mm. sometimes when a whole offense is built around you, which is what the Spurs have to do because they're not a team that is as stacked, and he doesn't have as many players to share those stats, right? Not as many goal scorers. Right, Karim Benzema had to share his stats with Cristiano for years and many right. other superstars. So yes, I do think his stats, stat-wise, productivity-wise, he actually benefits from playing for the Spurs. He benefits from that. Uh, that doesn't take away all his accomplishments because still scoring 20 plus goals in a year with Tottenham is absolutely fantastic. Which comes to a different topic, uh, not a different topic, in the same line of thought. Before I move into that, your thoughts on Harry Kane, and then I want to talk about the English national team. Yeah, I mean, in general, I agree with you. I think Harry Kane is a top, top center forward in the world, probably fifth or sixth, you know, currently. But let's be honest, there aren't that many center forwards anymore. Like, the center forward is almost a dying breed in, in, in world soccer, right? The pure center forward who scores goals, right? Like, well, you could put five or six guys up there that are, like, top, top level. That we used to have much more, right, 10, even 15 years ago. But it is kind of a dying breed. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a top, top forward. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Harry Kane is better than Wayne Rooney was? Different, different. Um, I, I have a preference for Wayne Rooney, um, from what I've seen, uh, but there's different levels to it. I do think in terms of vision distribution, um, Wayne Rooney improved towards the end of his career, right? He became almost like a playmaking striker and Harry Kane just naturally has that. Wayne Rooney had to develop that. Uh, Wayne Rooney was more of a head case at times as well, um, mm -hmm. causing trouble. Harry Kane seems much more less of that, much more focused and less of a problem. I don't know. I think they're very much different, right? Also, Rooney was not ideally a lone center forward. No, he was more, more of a second forward. Second forward, a playmaking, while, while Harry Kane is a very unique center forward, by the way, right? He plays that deep-lying forward slash false nine slash poacher. Everything combined, he has that. So I would probably say Harry Kane's soccer IQ in the field is much higher than Rooney. Um, mm -hmm. Knows where to be in the right time, the right plays. But maybe Rooney was a better striker, um, more yeah. fearless. Work rate was higher, more powerful up top, could finish better. Not finish better necessarily because Harry Kane's a, a clinical finisher too. They're different, different yeah. players. I mean, Rooney is Manchester level? United and England's top scorer ever. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to beat that. But Harry Kane is only, what, 29? Yeah, still got a so couple good years. He's got a few years left. We'll see how he does. He's got a chance. If England wins the World Cup this year, which they're not. No. Uh, I don't think. Do you think that changes your mind about Harry Kane? Depends on how he does, right? Right. Um, if he's there and he even gets benched, no. But if he's like leading the national team and they win a World Cup outside of England, right? Because they were only capable of winning stuff in England. 
um, yeah, that, that would probably change. And I know it might be just a small sample. It's like, oh, one World Cup. It, well, World Cup is the big stage, right? Yeah. If he can perform there and carry the team, yes, it would change a lot of how I see many of the English players. Because it comes back to, before we wrap up this episode, of how I said this in the past. They love to say that the 20, not 2018, well, 2018 as well, 2018, 2014, 20, 2006, uh, 2010, 2002 English national team, how they always underachieve. I don't think they have ever underachieved, in my opinion. I think they always achieved exactly what they were supposed to achieve with the players they had. The problem was the media in England overhyped them mm -hmm. to make everyone believe that was a World Cup winning team. But as the matter of fact, it was just a very good World Cup team, a quarterfinal, semifinal team, a very strong squad. They and haven't then made the, the semifinal since. Oh, I guess they did in 2018. But before 2018, that, it was 40 years since they made it. Uh, yeah, it was. Final. They made to the quarterfinals in 2002, and they lost to a stacked Brazilian team. So is yeah. that underachieving? That's not underachieving. They did no. find that game. They almost won. Ronaldinho carried the team. So yeah. they they did lose to Germany. I think it was 2006 or 2010. The Frank Lampard scored a goal, but there was no VAR or goal check. They might have gone through there. Yeah, and that yes, would have made it 2-2. Yes, so it could have changed everything. But but I, I the, here's the thing. I think what the English media does is quite clear. They overhype the team. So mm -hmm. everyone believes during the World Cup that they're going to win. And then when they lose, they quickly bash them and say how they underachieved and how they're bad. And that drives um, engagement and views for the media. That's what they always do. And I don't think this current team is any different. I think this current team is overhyped, a high-quality team, a team that I expect to a bare minimum to make it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, possibly the semifinals. I don't see this team winning a World Cup. So I definitely don't see them winning the World Cup. But what I will say for England is they used to produce guys like Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, you know, David Beckham, guys who could spray long balls, who were physical, who could, you know, arrive late in the box and score goals, but they weren't very technical. The, England's big problem has always been a lack of technique, right? And that was true up until about 2014, 2016 even, where they lost to Iceland, right? However, about 10 to 15 years ago, the FA, the English FA, overhauled their youth development processes. England youth development came out of the 60s, okay? In the 60s, they basically said, they, they watched a lot of tape and said the best way to score goals is to, you know, get as few passes as possible from the defense into the attack. That's the best way to score goals. So all of English coaching and all of English development for many, many years was about direct, about long balls, about going forward, not about keeping possession, not about developing players who could hold on to the ball under pressure, who could get out of pressure with skill and technique and play a possession style game. That changed about 10 years ago, which is why you see players coming through the England setup now are much more technical than their predecessors. From Raheem Sterling, for example, to uh, who's the other Phil kid Foden. at Manchester City? Phil, Phil Foden. Foden, right? You know, Jude Bellingham, uh, Jaden Sancho. Uh, a lot of these guys are way more technical than their predecessors were, which means England will have more success on the world stage. And to be fair, they have. In 2018, they made a semifinal. In 2020, one. They made the Euro final. Now, you can argue they had easier Bracket. sort of pathways to get there, certainly, but that's better than losing to Iceland, right? They had easier pathways in the past and they still choked. So England is getting better because of their development processes have changed. But fundamentally, I agree with you. They are overhyped. You know, the English media believe, and it's because I think part of it is that A, they, they invented the game, right? The game as it is now was invented by the English. And so they, they also invented, invented the word soccer. 
They also invented the word soccer as much as they hate it. They believe they have some God-given right to win just because they invented the game. On top of it, they have the best league in the world. And that creates a misunderstanding of English football, right? The Premier League is the best league in the world because they have the best players in the world and the best managers. The best coaches are all in the Premier League, right? English football until about two, like late 90s, was a bunch of drunkards running around on mud patches on a weekend. Like it was not that good. It started when Arsene Wenger came in for, to Arsenal and brought sports science and started bringing in more foreign players. And then everybody gradually followed suit. Now you've got Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. There's money in the Premier League. So they can now afford to get the best staff, the best players, the best everything. And they have the best league in the world. But most of their players are not English, right? They're mm -hmm. foreigners. That's what's made them so good. And there are some good English players for sure. But the Premier League being the best league in the world does not speak to the quality of the average English player. Yeah. Pete, if you look at the top three teams in England right now, I think it's undoubtedly that it's Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. They right. don't have many English players as key players, right? Not no. many. They have um, supplementary. Like Jordan Henderson is a good piece on Liverpool, but not I would not player. call him a key player. Replaceable. Um, I, I think Mount could be a key player in Chelsea. Mount is a key player. Sure. Uh, and then you look at Liverpool, you said Henderson. They look at Manchester City. Phil Foden is great, but he's not a key player. He's very replaceable with the roster they have. So, yeah, you look Same at that. Same with Sterling. Sterling has been benched even. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about with England. But, Pete, I think that does it for our first podcast episode. This flew by, at least for me and you. I, I, know, I don't know for any listeners, but for me and you, it flew by. <laughs> if you guys are still listening, kudos. <laughs> but everyone don't forget to leave a review whatever platform you're listening to this it really helps share the podcast too we're just starting yeah. hopefully this grows we'll put more episodes out if you enjoy it if you don't enjoy it i apologize but if you made it this far you probably enjoy it pete want to wrap things up sure and just to quickly go off what you said the reason we ask for reviews is because it's not like youtube right podcasting you live off of you know, reviews and ratings, because basically whether it's Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, they rate it higher based on how many positive reviews you have. So if we have a bunch of five-star reviews, it means more people will find us. And that means more growth for soccer in this country. The more popular soccer podcasts get, the higher they get ranked within the iTunes and Spotify algorithm, the better for the game in this country. So it's a simple way for you to help grow the game by recommending the soccer podcasts that you love which we hope is Tactical Yanks. And thank you very much for watching, everyone, and have a great day.